Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Matt Deegan. On the show today, Gary Lineker's political comments spark an impartiality debate. Will the BBC issue a red card? Marking International Women's Day, we look at the latest research on representation in UK media. And in this week's deep dive, black-owned production indie Unedited share their slate of new pilot podcasts. Plus, we cover even more shiny new shows coming to audiences in the Media Quiz. That's all coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. So in the news this week, the BBC has announced a major review of classical music, including the closure of the BBC Singers. That's one of the UK's only full-time professional chamber choirs. An online petition to protest the cuts has already gathered 20,000 signatures. And the BBC says, though, that the savings will create investment in the long-term future of classical music. In quieter news, the BBC have combined their BBC News and BBC World News TV channels. Uh, That launched on Monday, where so viewers here in the UK may notice some more international focus but otherwise the change has been kept somewhat on the down low the formal launch with a bit of a new look uh, kicks off on april 3rd and commuters might have noticed a new look from metro this week after it received a gentle design and editorial refresh the new look brings the print and online editorial content closer together and follows a wave of redundancies among print editorial staff last month and the guardians returned to apple news in the uk the publishers left the platform in 2017 but according to the press gazette have been lured in by the offer of some in-app donation functionality. Uh, As of the end of 2022, it was estimated to be one of the UK's most popular news apps with an audience of 14 million users. But now on today's show, I've got four media experts to help us tackle the major headlines. So first up, we're welcoming back Karen Robinson from Edelman Communications. Karen, how have you been? How's the book going? Oh, thanks. I'm doing good with the book. I think I'm one chapter away from finishing with my first draft, which people tell me it tells me is the easy part. So <laughs> I've got uh, I've still got a lot ahead of me, but uh, I've enjoyed it so far. And also with us is the team from media production company Unedited. We've got the founder, Bernard Ann Champong, plus newly appointed board members, Pat Young and Maxine Watson. It's been a really busy time for you, Bernard, and we'll go into more detail a bit later with what you've been doing. But quite a shift for the company in the last couple of months. Yeah, we're trying to keep busy. We're trying to pivot from being just a work for hire business to some some kind of new expression of, of originals in the podcast space. So, yeah, exciting times. 
and Pat, Pat Young, you were, you've been on the show before, different host. And I think you, you probably just wrapped up your time at, um, at BBC Studios then. So what have you been up to since? Well, after BBC Studios, I helped launch a company called Sugar Films, which morphed into Cardiff Productions. And I stood down from Cardiff Productions at the beginning of the year. And I've invested in uh, Unedited to support this push to uh, originals. Also joining you uh, in this sort of, can I call it a reboot, Bernard? Is that, is that okay? It's a reboot. We can, we can go with reboot. Is uh, Maxine Watson, MD at, at Black Ruby Pictures. What's been keeping you busy up to this point? I have been busy doing African Queens for Netflix with Westbrook uh, and Newtopia. So I've been doing that for the last, well, nearly a year. Uh, and finished that in December and have sort of turned my attention to ideas for um, for Unedited. Sounds uh, re- really exciting. One of the things that obviously has been talked about a lot in the last few days uh, in our first story is good old Gary Lineker. He's always been causing the BBC some trouble uh, with, with his statements. Now he's been caught up in a furore over comments on the government's asylum policy, partly comparing the language uh, of the plan to that used by Germany in the 1930s, which is definitely excised members of the, the, the Conservative government at the moment. Karen, have you been watching this unfold? Is it just the, the same old story and Gary says something that some people don't like? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of layers to it. It's been dispiriting for me, actually, how quickly the conversation moved from the very serious debate about this piece of legislation itself, which is dubious in terms of international law, is unlikely to actually have any of the impacts the government want to have, is, you know, just fundamentally not a well-conceived idea. And then immediately into the, well, let's talk about the media element of it instead of the substance of it. I mean, that is how these debates often play out, but it was depressing that it moved so quickly to that. I think, you know, we of course have an ongoing debate and we've talked about it on this show before, this conversation about the BBC and its its difficulty in managing what bizarre expectations for impartiality now seem to sit with it. And of course, there's the ongoing controversy around the appointment of, of Richard Sharp as governor. I think Lewis Goodall this week in the in the news agents had a really interesting commentary where he was talking about how he, as a journalist, when he was at the BBC, had been taken to task on impartiality grounds by Robbie Gibb, who was only just less than a year out of being the actual director of communications for Number 10. So I think it just brought to life a lot of these unresolved questions about, you know, the BBC seems to be held to an impossible standard. Its presenters and commentators seem to be held to an impossible standard. And for me, that's just felt like another example of of that. I mean, what he said was not, you know, it was certainly strong language, but I think well within the type of language that seems merited by the merits of the case. And also the story isn't really about him, is it? It's about this piece of legislation. So that was certainly my take on it, but uh, it it did roll out in a very predictable way, unfortunately. It isn't a policy, it's a non-policy. What they actually want is the row about the non-policy. Clearly this expression, stop the boats, has tested really well with focus groups and they want to say it all the time. And then you're either with us for stopping the boats or you're against us for stopping the votes. And so talking about Gary Lineker being against them is absolutely the place they want to be in because what they're talking about is stopping the votes and not actually the policy, which has got so many holes in it, makes absolutely no sense. Well, a Braverman today, he said that her husband's Jewish and therefore he found Gary Lineker's marks particularly offensive. 
The BBC does tie itself up in knots on this. Me and Maxine and Bernard, we've all been there. But the biggest purveyors of the story have been BBC News. It's the BBC Newsroom that decided to lead with, you know, they had it on Today, they had it on The World at One, they had it on PM, and they even had it on The World Tonight. It's the BBC that's driving this own story, partly because the news journos, I think, wish they had a bit more of that freedom to call out BS when they see it. Well, I mean, you've been up there, Patrick, and you've had to deal with talent and little talent explosions and how that works with the with the corporation. I mean, you can, you can read the, the social media guidelines and say that he's basically broken the rules but at the same time why shouldn't he be allowed to to say what he thinks about about this issue i mean if you're in charge there you must just look sort of aghast every time there's a, a, a gary lineker explosion you know he basically presents one show on the bbc for you know 35 weeks a year is he just too much trouble for them no he's um he's a big name for them and he'll leave on his own terms when he's ready and when he goes people will realize what they've what they've lost. I mean, don't forget, the start of the Qatar World Cup was a three-minute piece about human rights in Qatar. And, you know, but that sort of political expression was okay. He didn't do it on air. He did it in his own time. He is a freelance. He works for other people. And actually, other people probably pay him far more than the BBC does. So, yeah, these things blow up if you're a BBC exec, but he's not staff and he doesn't work in news and current affairs. So he has a degree of latitude. And most of the comment isn't about what... It, it's about what he said rather than the actual issue. And, and in the back of all of this, we've got a chairman of the BBC who's a, himself under investigation for, a, for being a go-between for an £800,000 loan to the Prime Minister. So you sort of couldn't make this up. It will die out. If you take a step back... The government legislated on this issue less than a year ago, so they had the chance, if they thought there was something they needed to do on small boats then, to do it then. Why are they bringing this piece of legislation? Even they don't really think this is going to solve the problem, because it won't. (laughs) Uh, Well, also, I think there's a view that the government basically saying uh, we were stopped doing everything by, you know, the Liberal lefties, by Gary Lineker, by government workers. So... It just sort of sets them up to say they've been beaten by the blob. I mean, Maxine, there's a kind of interesting discussion about, you know, the BBC's sort of impartial news brand and that being a really important part of what they're trying to do. And particularly, they're kind of taking that to America now, aren't they? You know, they're really scaling up their American operation too. Do you think impartiality is the core to the BBC's success everywhere or or do most consumers not really think too hard about it? I think they do because I think if you, you know, it's public service broadcasting, if you pay for this organisation like we do with the licence fee, then I think it is held to a fairly robust and high standard in terms of that. Uh, And just the story aside and whether, you know, Gary Lineker should have an opinion or not, of course he can have an opinion. But when you work at the BBC, you sort of have to pretend that you don't have one, especially on government policy. I think it does have to be held to a standard. And Gary Lineker, with his high profile and his massive amount of followers and the fact that he is on the BBC every week, you know, people are going to take notice of what he says. Bernard, is there anybody at the BBC who can kind of give Gary the red card? Or or is he sort of bigger than, than the corporation? Do they sort of have to follow his lead? I think, actually, that there is a precedent here that we're in danger of setting, I guess, if you're sitting in the BBC and and trying to think what to do about this. If you let Gary get away with it, so to speak, then you've got a whole raft of presenters who will see that as licence to 
put their kind of opinions out. Ultimately, these are real people doing real jobs <laughs> with real feelings. So how do you measure how people do this other than what it says in your contract? But it also matters that he's not a staff member and he doesn't work in news and current affairs. That is significant. As I say, the BBC doesn't account for most of his earnings. I'm sure he earns more money doing football for NBC and others than he does for the BBC. The Tories wouldn't be complaining. If he said, I think it's a brilliant policy, (laughs) there wouldn't be a government row. You know, there'd be a different row. So you've always got to be mindful of it. But, I mean, this same sort of thinking has stopped black employees at the BBC going on BLM demos, for Mm -hmm. example. And again, the rule applies. If you work in news, then you have to think twice. But everybody else, do what you want. Do you know what? If Gary Lineker left the BBC, ultimately, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Gary's got plenty of other things to do. He's got a very low golf handicap. He's got a very successful podcast company. (laughs) You know, know, he'll he'll be busy. So I just think it's a storm in a teacup. I saw a good tweet. They should have a, a debate between Gary Lineker and Suella Braverman. And whoever loses should lose their job. I think that would be a, uh, something that uh, everyone would watch. Earlier this week was International Women's Day. And new research from ACAS has found that UK news coverage of women-focused issues has decreased by a fifth in the last five years. It was research led by Luba Kosova. Uh, and they examined the GDLT uh, online news database, which contains about 30 million news stories in the UK over the last six years. So it sort of tracks everything that's been going on. And in 2022, it found that just over 2% of online news coverage in the UK focused on issues of importance to women. Karen, does this research surprise you? Well, in some ways it surprises me only because there was a period of time when it was slightly higher, which was during the, the peak of the Me Too movement. There was that period when kind of it seemed for a moment, a, a brief glimmer in time, like women's issues were, were at the heart of the media conversation. There was a, a bigger kind of network of conversations around net that was sparking. You know, it started with, you know, thinking about women's sexual harassment and abuse, but then it kicked off into workplace conversations. It was really interesting. As these things do, it then faded away again. So I'm not necessarily surprised that that happened, but I am still, you know, I guess at my usual level of frustration that women's issues are considered a sideline rather than at the heart of, I mean, we're half more than half the population. Normally a majority of the population would be considered to be a reasonable group of people to talk about from time to time. So I have had very frustrating conversations even with TV producers and things where, you know, they, they've been talking to me about presenters who they felt were erring too much on the side of women's interest stories. And I thought, well, it's, it's not a sideline. It's, you know, we are the majority of the population. The other aspect to it, of course, is that lots of things that are reported on as if they are women's issues are actually issues for everyone, mm. but are sidelined into women's issues because it's considered stereotypically female. And I think this is often the case with parenting conversations. And every time there's a conversation around childcare and policy, it's always, well, you know, women around the UK, their working working lives will be disrupted if they don't get childcare sorted out. Well, men's lives will also be disrupted. So I think we just have a long way to go in terms of genuinely understanding the role of women in society as part of our need to understand the role of women and, and women's issues in the media. But that all got very philosophical. So am I surprised? No, I'm not surprised. Would I like to see it be different? Yes. 
Maxine, I mean, Lupus Research last year in the Missing Perspectives report sort of zoomed in on the lack of female leadership across UK editors, particularly female editors from black and ethnic minority backgrounds as well. And when you look at some national newspapers, there's more women in charge than perhaps there has been in the past. Do you think there's there still remains kind of similar leadership issues in, in television? I'd say that that was the case, although I think in television there's probably... Probably, I think women do. Women are doing pretty well in some of those in some of those roles. Just going back to this gender bias in in news coverage is that obviously part of the issue is that it's still male dominated. So, you know, male dominated stories will be you know given priority. However, it's not something I have thought about. I have to say, and if you hadn't mentioned this report, it is not something that is the forefront mm-hmm. of my mind in terms of news coverage. Because what I think generally is is that we're facing you know some big political and business issues here: cost of living, war in Ukraine. These are big stories that have to be covered. So I haven't sat there and thought, oh my god, you know they're not you know, and you know we've had sexual violence and violence, the Metropolitan Police. These things come up, you know, when they are, I guess, meant to come up. So it's not something that has kind of niggled me in any in any sort of way. I sort of expect the news to be male dominated in a way, which is, you know, you kind of expect it. But in television, I think women are doing, you know, far better. I'd have to say that coverage of black stories that are relevant to black and brown people around the world are still you know, not just sideline, they're not even, you know, they're not, they don't even feature. Do you think, one of the things I was thinking about television, and obviously you mentioned kind of work with Netflix earlier, obviously the power of showrunners has been something for all the streamers. And obviously Shonda Rhimes obviously has huge success at ABC, but also a big Netflix deal as well. Do you think sort of the power of showrunners now actually kind of skips over some of the entrenched uh, management structures of television by kind of putting people in, in at the top and then can drive their own change forward? If you are successful, I mean, Shonda Rhimes is massively successful. Issa Rae, you know, um, showrunners like that. Obviously, it does skip all of that. If you are a successful black female showrunner, then you are likely to be given chance after chance. And, you know, and you, you know, you get one show, you'll get another show. We don't have that much in the UK, but it's certainly in America. You can see it already on the streamers. There are so many series you know, successful series that have punched through that do have black female showrunners and, and and that is making a difference. You can you can see it. I mean if you look at UK TV at the moment, Channel Five is is that CEO of Channel Five is a woman. CEO of Channel Four is a woman. CEO of ITV is a woman. Charlotte Moore is in charge of all content at the BBC. To me in terms of TV, that is diversity in action. And in terms of, if you look at the leadership groups of most TV networks now, there are a significant number of women, predominantly white women, but a significant number of women in the commissioning roles and the channel management roles of television. Looking at this survey, one of the things that struck me is I'd love to see what a maybe slightly more nuanced, maybe AI-informed survey would do because, you know, they've surveyed against keywords like rape, sexual assaults, pregnancy, trans, abortion, sexism, feminism, menopause, Me Too, gender equality. But, you know, last in the last 12 months, women's sport has exploded. But sport wasn't a word that they... a key word, therefore doesn't, maybe doesn't get picked up. Also, if I look at these numbers, uh, I'm looking at the number on racial diversity. I mean, look, none of these numbers are great. I think the top number is like 2.3% or something. 
if you look at racial diversity, it is five in 100,000. It is 0.005%. And I do think where we have made great strides on gender equality over the last 30 years, where what we haven't seen within that advance for women in general is the equivalent advancement of women of colour. Black and Asian women haven't benefited from this big push forward that we've seen for for women. So I, I think the survey is interesting, but I wonder if a more nuanced tool might give us a bit more light. Well, on that, Bernard, I mean, you run a production company. Do you think about media representation and whose stories we hear and who gets to tell them? Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, looking at the stats, I always like to see what's the alternative point of view. And what if these, this data is telling us that there's a more nuanced approach to, to news now, rather than just tokenistically picking this looks like a woman's story or this is a black story. Perhaps there is an awakening within, you know, news media of actually let's find a story that matters rather than labeling it black or gay or white or women or you know let's just talk about news without having to find a a space to put it to tick a box one of the the challenges being a black owned production company is it's very clear that we have a stake in telling stories of black characters culture experience but it doesn't mean that we are only available to to tell those kind of stories so we have to work very hard as well as being authentically being able to represent certain communities that don't get the, the kind of exposure or don't get the access to have their stories told, also deliver just purely excellently as a production company. And that's the balance that we have to make here. So, yes, some, we do have to look at what the, what the keywords are going to be in terms of each story, but also can we just overall deliver a great award-winning piece of production? You can find a media podcast deep dive interview with Luba Kosova on our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash mediapod because we chatted with her in December last year all about gender diversity in the media. But now on to this week's deep dive with our guests Bernard, Pat and Maxine all about some of the new things they've been up to. So what we've done with pilot season is essentially we've conflated two things. One, which is the traditional TV pilot season where production companies, creators go out and set out their stall and try and recruit actors and so on and just get some activity around things that are new, novel, about to be uh, looking for funders, looking for broadcasters and so on. The other thing is something that comes from us being black and fans of hip hop. When you're a hip hop artist and you want to kind of make your name, you put out your mixtape. And so for us, this slate pilot season is our mixtape of five original formats. For the most part, you probably haven't heard something like this from unedited yet. So we've got, you know, Gary Young doing a great deep dive on uh, taking a, a stat and looking at the lived experience around that stat and some of those contradicting views around that. We've got a, a book which has been turned into a podcast format. We've got some great self-told stories from people's holiday hijinks. We've got a format which is around, you know, it's like the Desert Island Disc for the next 2,000 years. We've got the, you know, fans of, of sneakers have their own shows. So we've got a number of different shows that we can just showcase and say, actually, an editor can do much more than you already see them doing. And are these going to be public pilots or is it just for, for producers? How, how can people tune in? So these are public pilots available on all 
podcast platforms. <laughs> Where do you get your podcasts? Wherever you get a podcast, <laughs> uned.it, so uned.it slash pilot season 2023. Now, buyers, commissioners, heads of production companies will get a deck with a bit more information, but, you know, listeners are able to access it. There's a social media campaign to go along with it where you'll be able to contribute with, actually, I like that. I'm not so sure about that. And for us, it means when we come to sit in front of a table to talk about licensing or selling the idea, we can have a lot of audience insights to help shape the idea stronger. I mean, Maxine, um, you're, you're totally right in, in saying that there's a, a content element and a sort of a research element to give confidence to producers and I guess particularly kind of TV producers. You obviously work with TV producers all the time. It's quite a special skill, isn't it? Pitching these converted ideas and speaking their language as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I was a commissioner, so... I sort of the I sort of know the language they want to hear, and hopefully that hasn't changed since I since I was one. And basically, you know, you're always looking for a a, a hole to fill or a need, and obviously all of that stuff, you know, audience insight, you know, audio, you know, clips, anything that sort of proves the idea or you know gives you a sense of what the idea will do or will be, is really useful in any pitch. And Bernard, are these UK ideas or are they are they international in scope? What's your what's your view on that? So we've taken a view that all of the ideas that we pitch have to be able to work in more than one territory. Otherwise, there's no point putting it together. We'll just save it for another day. Just off the back of what Maxine was saying, the experience for us is that pitching stuff off paper, even if it's a very beautiful looking paper, doesn't work anymore. You've got to show something. And by doing something as disruptive as pilot season and just going out to the audio industry, and actually it's the media industry at large because the, the list, of, I've seen the, the mailing lists people are going to get on Monday morning and it's broad. It goes across all platforms, but that's exactly what we want. We have to show them that this is something different. This is something unique. And the, you know, the characteristics of that is what unedited is. We are a, a company who's here to shake things up, but do it in the most high quality way and take no excuses. And what's the, the timescale for these, for these pilots? When are you going to have them all, all done by? So pilot season launches on the 13th, on Monday the 13th of March, and runs until the 9th of April, where we'll be promoting on social media a different format. But most of the formats will be available from Monday, so on the 13th of March. And we have one that we're teasing and saving till the big finale at the end. All will be revealed. Thanks, Bernard, Maxine and Pat. Remember, you can get all of those pilots at the unedited website. But don't go anywhere. We'll be back uh, with all of them and with Karen to analyse Spotify's latest revamp and to play a game of first ever formats in the media quiz. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves... Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. 
You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And we're back for part two. Maxine, Bernard, Patrick and Karen are still here. And you might have seen this week that a brand new version of Spotify has been unveiled at the company Stream On event in LA. The new design is heavy on imagery, vertical scrolling and podcast discovery. I was reading a review by David Pierce at The Verge and he sort of described it part TikTok, part Instagram, part YouTube. Whether that's something the audio industry wants, we'll see. Bernard, did you keep an eye on what Spotify announced the other day? Yes, I'm very excited. It does, it does make us understand that Spotify is primarily a tech company rather than an audio content company. I can imagine that the, the designers went, OK, what else are our potential audience doing at this time? They're scrolling on TikTok. They're doing something else. How do we bring that experience into this app? And what you've got is pretty much that experience of being able to like and comment and, and you know, easily move around and have this almost... Instagram stories transition at the cross the top. It's pretty much going, what else are our audience doing and how can we pull them into this space so we keep them captive? Karen, are you a Spotify user? I'm not a Spotify user, although I do have it on my phone because when I was podcasting, I'd always checked how it showed up on Spotify. So I can say definitely sounds like the changes that they're proposing are going to be much more engaging and a, an entirely different different way for users to interact with the platform. So it all sounds like a smart way forward for Spotify. I don't want to say a right decision because people have different things they want out of the apps, but I can see why they're going this way. It makes sense to me. And I think the Patreon integration is also really smart for creatives and, and a big step forward. I mean, do you think a kind of video first, kind of graphics imagery first position is, is going to help audio creators, both podcasters and, and musicians? Or is it kind of moving away from their core art? I feel like anything that aids discovery is good. I think especially in the podcast space, it's really, it's still to this day, really difficult for people to navigate, to find content they might like that might signal itself as being appropriate for them. So um, I think the, you know, the, the potential implications for creators with less resources available to them is something we need to think about you know podcast creators who don't have the assets available to create really top-notch visual arts i think that's a shame but for those for those creators who are able to create and really engage with the way their platform now works i think it will be helpful for users to aid discovery i would be disappointed if it went to being a primarily video platform just again because from a user point of view I think people people like audio for a reason. I mean, it is a different format than video. It's engaged with in a different way. The use case for it is different. So I, I think we need to be careful not to conflate the purpose of video and the purpose of audio. But if we can use 
some moving images and some, you know, really compelling still images to aid with discovery, then I'm all for it. It sounds smart to me. And hey, what if it opens up the opportunity for collaboration between audio artists and visual artists, you know, bringing two different sectors together with this new opportunity and this new space? Maybe some of those production companies who have the low budgets might be able to work with some independents and some great college students and people who are doing great stuff on TikTok and Instagram at the moment and bringing them into the media industry. Patrick, the Spotify are really doubling down on creators. They talked a lot about creators, empowering creators, new creator tools. And when I was watching it, I was thinking... Is, is this really a play for sort of what YouTube have successfully done, which is the sort of the unit of creativity is that that creator and looking after them, maybe more than record labels who historically have kind of been their main customer. Is that a bit of a change for them? Is that is that sensible for, for Spotify to double down on creators? It's definitely a pivot. And if it aids discoverability, then I think it's great. I think the the risk is it just becomes just like all the others. And, you know, that, I think that will be damaging for Spotify because they have a very distinctive position. I think this thing of creators, yeah, because YouTube has sort of moved away from the creators. They talk much less about the creators now. They're trying to be much more of a traditional, you know, they're, they're trying to get other people's platform on there and you pay a micro fee or you join YouTube, right? So I think maybe they've seen a space. And as we all know, the price of entry, the barrier to entry in audio is much lower than video. And so they think, okay, well, let's go and own that creative space. So uh, I think it's bold. I do like the Patreon tie-up. I think that will really drive... Yeah, that probably will... That will certainly engage me more than some of the other things that are on there, Mm. which make it look a bit like Instagram. I think... And I'll probably give more money because I'll listen to something and be able to give straight away. Um, So I think that's important. And I do think you've spotted something in terms of taking the language of creator and making that much more front and centre. But if it doesn't aid discoverability, I'm not sure it moves them forwards. I mean, Maxine, is this just a reminder to audio creators that they've they've really got to get their video stuff together and that just existing in in one vertical maybe isn't, isn't enough anymore? Possibly. I think, you know, podcasts are successful for a reason because they're podcasts, (laughs) because, you know, they're not video, they are audio. They may be filmed and everything, but actually it is the listening that people, you know, that that, that people want. I think Spotify is just a fantastic front door. I've only recently just joined it, can you believe it? And I only went for the music, but actually I can absolutely see that, you know, it is a great portal for audio and video possibilities. But I do think the purity of the, I don't know why people love a podcast, is because it is that fantastic audio experience. And you can, all the video stuff and it, I mean, you get that on YouTube and all of this. So I think you do have to be careful, you know, that you don't dilute to such an extent that it's, you know, it's, it's not, the quality is not the same. Bernard, when you've been speaking to kind of clients about about podcasts, is video a key part of that now? Are, are they are they expecting something that's that's super cross platform? Yes, video is definitely key, and it's usually in terms of their promotion and social media, because they're promoting on social media platforms and it's very visible. So you know, gone are the days of yep, you can have a couple of audiograms and you'll be away. They want images, they want animations, they want video clips to use. Often we film the whole podcasts and only use video clips for social media promotion so it's very very important 
So the new design is going to be mobile only to begin with and is gradually rolling out to their 500 million active users, which means if you don't get it now, you should get it soon. All of which brings us to the media quiz. I've got three titles of cutting edge shows coming to audiences across the media. I'm going to give you the name of that show. Uh, and if you know what it is, just buzz in with your name and tell me and our lovely listeners. So you're buzzing with your name. So Karen, you'll say... Karen. Bernard, you'll say... Bernard. Maxine, you'll say... Max. And Patrick, you'll say... Ah. Great, here we go. Three to guess. Uh, buzz in with your name when you know the answer. Uh, so what is popcorn for dinner? Karen. Karen. What are people tuning into? So it's a scripted comedy podcast i understand written by uh, a young woman about being a young woman is that broadly right uh, yes yeah, so this is maddie kelly comedian maddie kelly she's got a new sitcom podcast that's going to be produced by global it's about four young friends dealing with life in their 20s uh, builders created by gen z writers and producers for a gen z audience uh, but i mean sitcoms hasn't been something that's really hit the podcast space uh, do you think there's a gap for it I think there is that, you know, I've listened to the first two episodes and I, I think there's something quite cheeky about it with the canned laughter and everything. It reminds me of watching some of those, you know, dodgy 90s sitcoms when, you know, <laughs> it's not actually a funny line, but I can hear laughter. So I think it's funny. <laughs> uh, what is interesting, though, is that it's powered by uh, the digital ads exchange. Yes, this is Global's DAX. Yes. Yeah. Which is really driving, driving the, the revenues on this. Interesting for, for funding models, mm. interesting for sales models. Let's see what happens. Also interesting for creative. I mean, you know, one of the reasons Maxine and I are now working with Bernard, when I was at the BBC, comedy was the one department that was radio and television production combined because the BBC pilot, most of their best comedies have been piloted on radio first. Cost of production of radio pilot, 15K maybe, compared to the cost of a television pilot, four or five times that. Um, and so using radio as a means to pilot comedy ideas, especially sitcoms that could then move to TV and other platforms, is just very clever. And definitely something to talk to about IP, which we talked about earlier. Uh, right, question number two. Uh, what is selective outrage? Max. Bernard. Oh, I think Max just, just pipped you there. That is Chris Rock's live comedy spe stand-up special in which he, you know, that's the title of his um, the stand-up special, which I watched. Yes, it was on last <laughs> week. Did you enjoy it? I thought it was fantastic. Genius, in fact. And probably the angriest I've seen Chris Rock on, on anything. And I thought <laughs> saving all the Will Smith stuff till last... <laughs> was genius he just almost like he bundled all his air his frustration his anger everything into that last sort of final 10 minutes on that slap and i thought you know the whole show i was laughing like a drain i thought it was great uh, it's it's definitely worth a watch i mean karen it's interesting it's one of netflix's first kind of uh, live broadcasts uh, and obviously people were definitely waiting for all the will smith stuff so it's perfect for a, a live environment are we going to see more of this from netflix yeah, I think live is going to be a really important part of Netflix's strategy going forward. And we talked, I think, previously on the show, we've talked about the kind of 
slowing growth that they've had and the difficulty they have in continuing the pace of development that they've had, I think being able to create moments of live opportunity, moments of kind of shared shared view, viewership, especially now that terrestrial TV is less important in people's lives, has become less of a day-to-day part of everyone's lives, I think there's a real opportunity for them to pick that up. And as I was reading recently, it's interesting because Netflix can do what the BBC can't do. It can create a truly global simultaneous moment. So they've already kind of got that thing of being able to drop a big show all at once and get the whole world talking about it. If they can get that same thing happening with a truly global event that they create, like the Chris Rock show, that's different than, for example, a sporting event that might already exist outside of the platform, then I think they've got a really strong commercial opportunity there. So I'm sure that will be a big part of their strategy they could also take sports onto that platform now which opens up all sorts of possibilities for them also just in terms of you know their window in strategy they could give us nine out of ten episodes watch what you want when you want and the finale is going to be on sunday the 3rd of march at 10 p.m and create a true sort of roadblock so it's probably the most exciting thing that Netflix have done in the last couple of years. I also think it shows that the, the reach of these platforms is such that it can be truly competitive with broadcast television. I, I was interested seeing some of the Barb data and you're, you're starting to see uh, streamers and uh, the first episode of Clarkson's Farm did better than Country File, which was obviously on, on a linear platform. So everyone's definitely playing in, in the same pools. Uh, right, uh, number three. What is 10 to the top? Karen. Karen. I believe it's the replacement of uh, the BBC quiz show Popmaster. Yes, this is right. So Ken Bruce is off from Radio 2 to Greatest Hits Radio in a couple of weeks, and he's taking his quiz Popmaster with him. And so 10 to the top is their new replacement to try and keep uh, listeners interested. Bernard, did you manage to, to hear 10 to the top this week? No, I haven't. So I'm looking forward to it. I've read so much about it, this, <laughs> this ladder accumulator kind of quiz where each each step of the ladder takes you up a certain number of points and then when you miss a question or you get it wrong it's resets it sounds like a producer is going to have a lot of fun doing a lot of maths behind the scenes. <laughs> it might be a bit too complicated. The, the, the scoring system has been regarded as being a little complicated. But to, to be honest, I mean, when I listen to Popmaster, I could never understand how the bloody scoring worked on that either. So I don't think it's any, any great loss. I think as long as it's entertaining, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll stick with it. Yeah, I mean, Maxine, it does sort of show that even in sort of uh, linear radio, having a, a great formatted moment is really important, isn't it, to keep people engaged? Yeah, absolutely. I always wish I could invent one that people came back week after week for. That's literally what I strive. It's my dream to do this. But yes, it's, you know, there's, you know, I I mean, yeah, that's the holy grail, to be honest. So well done, Karen. I think you're the winner there. And as your prize, uh, you get to devise a new scoring system for all the country's quizzes. Well done. (laughs) And thanks to all of our guests, uh, Maxine, Bernard, Patrick and Karen. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for listening this week. Of course, we would love you to become a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash mediapod, as well as our undying love and appreciation for a few pounds. You'll also access a huge deep dive selection of interviews, including 
extra extended version of what we did this week. So that's patreon.com slash mediapod. If you're not doing that, then I'm afraid by law, you have to give us a plug, be that Twitter or LinkedIn, uh, retweet something that we've already posted or just say how much you enjoy the media podcast. And wait, whilst you're there doing that, you can pop the link in, which is podfollow.com slash the media podcast, because that's all people need to do, including yourself. If you want to subscribe to the show for free each week and get it in your podcast app of choice. My name is Matt Deegan. The producer was Matt Hill with support from Phoebe Adler-Ryan. It was a Rethink Audio production. And we'll see you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.